2 John can be found on page 1229 of the Church Bibles. The Elder, to the chosen lady and her children, whom I love in the truth, and not I only, but also all who know the truth, because of the truth which lives in us and will be with us forever, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and from Jesus Christ, the Father's Son, will be with us in truth and love. It has given me great joy to find some of your children walking in the truth, just as the Father commanded us. And now, dear lady, I am not writing you a new command, but one we have had from the beginning. I ask that we love one another, and this is love, that we walk in obedience to his commands. As you have heard from the beginning, his command is that you walk in love. Many deceivers who do not acknowledge Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh have gone out into the world. Any such person is the deceiver and the antichrist. Watch out that you do not lose what you have worked for, but that you may be rewarded fully. Anyone who runs ahead and does not continue in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever continues in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not take him into your house or welcome him. Anyone who welcomes him shares in his wicked work. I have much to write to you, but I do not want to use paper and ink. Instead, I hope to visit you and talk with you face to face so that our joy may be complete. The children of your chosen sister send their greetings. This is the word of the Lord. Well, this week and next, we're, we're in for a treat. We have the two smallest books of the Bible. And tonight, we have just 245 words in Greek. Uh, next week, 3 John is even smaller, just 219. Uh, what did you think as we read it? You would have noticed some repeated words. You hear a lot about love, truth. We're warned about deceivers. But did you notice there's quite a few puzzles to solve? I thought, oh, this is good. It's a small book to, to, to talk about. And then I looked at it and realized it's actually quite a few puzzles. So let's, let's get into it because it starts with two words, the elder. Who is an elder? Well, an elder is someone who's earned authority and respect from his good life. He's probably an older man who's faithfully taught the good news of Jesus over many years. You might think of our speaker this morning as an example of someone like that. And it fits the Apostle John. It makes sense. He was the disciple closest to Jesus of all the 12. He spent three years with Jesus. He was known as the one that Jesus loved. He sat next to him at the Last Supper. And when Jesus was dying on the cross, he was the one that Jesus turned to and said, will you look after my mother? And by the time John wrote this letter, he's seen the church expand across the known world. And he's probably very old. But why does he call himself the elder? Well, I think we know from church history that he was the last of the 12 disciples to die. And it's quite possible that by the time he wrote this, he was the only one alive. He's writing to say that he writes with authority. 
the authority of someone who spent time with Jesus. And he reminds them. This is from the elder. Listen up. This is important. Hear what I have to say to you. But he writes to the chosen lady. Who is she? Well, we don't know. Some think that she was a real person called Elector, which comes from the Greek for chosen. Lady Elector. But if that was true, then she had a sister of the same name, because the last verse uh, shows us that uh, it's also from a church, from a, a lady elector. So I don't think that quite works. We can't be certain, but for me, I think this is, this is saying it's written from one church to another. It's a bit like our curate, Nick Weir. He might write us a letter from St Albans to the church at St Mary's. Maybe it was a lady. I think if it was a lady and, uh, and her children, it would have been like a church. It would have been a church that met in her house. So I think we can think of it as he's writing to a church. But if Nick was writing to us, would he write to the chosen St. Mary's? Is that how he would start his letter? Do you think of yourself as chosen? John did. John knew that every follower of Jesus was chosen by him. They'd heard Jesus say, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Maybe not exactly those words, but those people had left their nets, so to speak, to follow Jesus. They'd repented, they'd turned their lives around and they were following him. And John ends his letter with the same thought in verse 13. He says, the children of your chosen sister send their greetings. So here I believe is what we have is a letter from the elder with greetings from one church of chosen people to another. But why did he write it? See, John wrote five Bible books. His Gospel of John, the book of Revelation, and his three letters, one, two, and three, John. Now, annoyingly, to John, he doesn't have a sentence in it that says exactly why he wrote it, because the other three books have two or three sentences that say exactly. Let me, let me read you the one from John's Gospel. In John's Gospel, he says, But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So he says exactly why he wrote his Gospel, so you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, the Promised One, and be rescued by him and find life in his name. And when you look at Revelation and you look at 1 John, there are sentences that say why the books were written, but we don't get any help with 2 John or 3 John. Maybe they're just too short. But I think it's quite clear what they are saying as we, look at the, as we looked at the passage. It's, uh, it tells the chosen church, the chosen St. Mary's, we could think of it, to remain true to Jesus and to watch out for these deceivers. So let's see how we can do that as we look at my first point. There's an outline on the back of the service sheet that you might like to look at. I've only got two points. The first one is the truth about the truth. Let me read the first three verses. The elder to the chosen lady and her children whom I love in the truth. And not I only but also all who know the truth. Because of the truth which lives in us and will be with us forever Grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and from Jesus Christ, the Father's Son, will be with us in truth 
and love. Well, we're thinking about truth. Do you remember the conversation that Jesus had with Pontius Pilate? Let me read it to you from John 18 and 37 and 38. You are a king then, said Pilate. And Jesus answered, you say that I'm a king. In fact, the reason I was born and came into the world is to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. What is truth? retorted Pilate. And with this, he went out. I wonder how would you have answered Pilate? I wonder how Jesus would have answered Pilate. And what would John say? I could mention that Pilate was a politician, so he wasn't particularly interested in the truth. That's a popular view today, isn't it? Politicians are easy prey, and I should have more respect. But in Pilate's case, it does appear to be true. But you know, we don't need to be political to ignore the truth. We like to have our own ideas of what's right and wrong. And Jesus' truth just doesn't suit us sometimes. It's too demanding. It's not as though we can take it or leave it. We can't just try it out and then discard it or return it for a refund. We decide how we're going to live our lives. We decide what's right for us. Now, Pilate didn't wait for an answer. He went straight out to please the crowd. He washed his hands of the truth and executed Jesus. Don't trouble him with truth. He's too busy. And so is our world. It's too busy to bother with Jesus. Too busy for the truth. Imagine for a moment that you're trying to explain the truth, the truth about Jesus, to your friend. So you try to lay the foundations with three facts. You start by saying, God has told us how to live. He's given us rules, standards to follow. And we have failed miserably to keep up to those standards. We don't even come close to them. And thirdly, we're in trouble with God as a result. We're in big trouble. Well, you might want to spend a bit longer doing it than that. But have you ever had the response to that from your friends who say, is that what you think? I don't want to seem rude, but that doesn't really work for me. Well, John mentions truth four times in his first sentence. You probably noticed it as we read it. It clearly works for him. It clearly matters to him. I think John would say this to Pilate. Pilate, don't you know that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one can come to the Father except through Jesus? Didn't you realize that by ignoring him and sentencing him to death, God has saved the world through him? And John has seen this in thousands of lives over his long life when he's writing this letter. This is not just one person's truth. This is the truth. If you come to know Jesus now in this life, you will spend eternity with him. Jesus is the truth. If we live in the truth, then it says that we will have grace, mercy, and peace with us. 
Literally, it says that we will continue to have grace, mercy, and peace with us. Gifts from the Father and the Son. And I think to really understand this letter, we have to see what John means by grace, mercy, and peace. So let's spend a few minutes on them. Grace. What's grace? It's not just saying a prayer before lunch. It's this, God loves us. And he came to rescue us even though we've messed up so badly that we deserve to die. Would you turn with me to page 1050 in your church Bibles to Luke 16 and verse 19. Jesus told a story to some people who thought they were so good that they didn't really need saving. Luke 16 and verse 19. It's a shocking story. Jesus meant it to be. It shows what will happen to us if we ignore God's grace and just live to please ourselves. There was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and he lived in luxury every day. At his gate was laid a beggar named Lazarus, covered with sores and longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs came and licked his sores. Well, the time came when the beggar died and the angels carried him to Abraham's side which is a way that they they called heaven. The rich man also died and was buried. In hell, where he was in torment, he looked up and he saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. So he called to him, Father Abraham, have pity on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I'm in agony in this fire. But Abraham replied, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things, while Lazarus received bad things. But now he is comforted here, and you are in agony. And besides all this, between us and you, a great chasm has been fixed, so that those who want to go from here to you cannot, nor can anyone cross over from there to us. And he answered, Then I beg you, Father, send Lazarus to my father's house, for I have five brothers. Let him warn them, so that they will not come to this place of torment. Abraham replied, They have Moses and the prophets. They have the Old Testament, he says. Let them listen to that. No, Father Abraham, he said, but if if someone from the dead goes to them, they will repent. He said to him, if they don't listen to Moses and the prophets, then they won't be convinced, even if someone rises from the dead. Now, of course, Jesus told that story before he'd risen from the dead. He said, just by reading the Bible... You should know the score. You are given one life in which to repent. And did you know this is the only parable that Jesus gave us which names a character? The name of the beggar was Lazarus, which means God is my help. It's the name that Moses gave to his son when he'd escaped from Pharaoh. He named his son God is my help because He's enabled me to escape from Pharaoh's sword. Lazarus was in heaven with Abraham, not because it was his turn to have a bit of luxury, but because he'd asked God for help. Whereas the rich man didn't. The rich man thought he didn't need to. God doesn't want anyone to go to hell, but many people will if, like the rich man, they don't turn to him. And repent. That's the point. But grace is God's refusal to wash his hands of us. He knew we'd mess things up. 
but he's patient and kind and he rescues us. But only if we ask for help, believe in him and turn to him. Some people here have come to know Jesus on a course by doing Christianity Explored or Identity or Changing Lanes. And we have other courses and Bible studies. And that's a helpful way, but you don't have to go on a course to be forgiven your sins and gain eternal life. Right now, Jesus will rescue you if you ask him to. You don't have to wait any longer. I like to remember grace this way. God rescued me at Christ's expense. God rescued me at Christ's expense. Which leads me to the second word, mercy. I wonder what you think of when you hear the word mercy. A strong person looking after a weak person. To spare the life of an enemy who's been wounded. To give food, shelter and medicine to destitute people. I think there's an element of helplessness whenever you think of mercy, which is where the good news of Jesus comes in. You are helpless, you are wounded, facing certain death, and you need to be shown mercy. Now, I told this story at a morning service in the summer about a soldier in the First World War, and we gave out these little Gospels, which were replicas of the Gospels that First World War soldiers were given when they were fighting at the front. It says on the front, active service 1914 to 1918. Please carry this in your pocket and read it every day. Let me read you the story of one soldier who did just that. A soldier was sent a small Bible book when he was fighting at the front. With time on his hands, he read it and reread it. Despite never showing an interest in spiritual things before, the words sunk in and he became a changed man. There were hymns at the back of the book and he, as he sang them, to himself, he became known up and down the trench as Singing Jim. Well, during a dangerous mission, a young soldier from his company was wounded and he lay between the trenches. A volunteer was asked to bring him in and Singing Jim stepped forward. He reached the man under cover of darkness and began crawling home with his friend on his back. But then a flare burst overhead, revealing their position. A single sniper shot rang out, and Singing Jim was killed outright. Well, the young man was recovered, as was the body of Jim. And in Jim's pocket, they found a long letter to his wife about how he had come to know Christ, and encouraging her to do the same thing. And the wounded man offered to take it home to England and deliver it in person, telling Jim's wife how her husband had laid down his life for him. Jim knew that he was chosen. He'd met Jesus by reading the Bible, and through that he believed. He didn't need Christianity explored, he just read the Bible. And having been shown mercy by Jesus, who died to rescue him, he showed mercy to somebody else and died in rescuing them. And that, that soldier then carried his message of God's mercy to Jim's widow. John's second word, mercy. Mercy may everyone rescued cry yes. And the third word, peace. Well, John's not thinking here of an end to war, an end to the horrible atrocities that we hear in the news, that we all long for, but something much deeper. 
is a conscience free of guilt, a stillness of the soul, a sense of rightness with God and harmony with those around us. And it's not just being free of sin, it's also being complete in Christ. Jesus rescues you from death, but more than that, he restores you to be more like Jesus. But you won't find this peace in the world. It's something the world just doesn't understand. There are endless ways that the world attempts to soothe our restless souls, that attempts to deal with our guilty consciences. Let me give you a few of them. Take up sports, running, swimming or golf. Get professional help, counselling, therapy, relaxation techniques. Own a pet, a dog, a cat, a goldfish. Play games, need for speed, halo, call of duty. Engross yourselves in hobbies, gardening, reading or stamp collecting. Buy something, smartphone, a hoverboard, a new car. Pamper yourselves, shoes, perfume and snuggle jumpers. You'll have to ask Will where you get those from. I don't think you can get them from John Lewis. Entertain yourselves, TV, Netflix and YouTube. Go out, restaurants, pubs and cinemas. Make friends, social media, clubs, parties. Go on holidays, cruises, villas in the sun, city breaks. Some of these may be great and help you enjoy life to the full with God's blessing. But what if we rely upon these things in place of God? What if we live for them instead of God? What if they become our idols? What if they weigh us down and stop us following Jesus? Then we'll find that God is a jealous God who hates idols and we will begin to lose his peace and our lives and our witness will suffer. Peace is knowing that your sins are forgiven, knowing that you're being changed day by day to grow more and more like Jesus, learning to love him and serve him, knowing that he's chosen you to join his forever family. Why would you abandon that for empty idols, fleeting pleasures that are gone in a moment and might leave you abandoned or confused? I've spent too much time talking about what peace isn't really, but maybe that's because too many of us spend too much time on those things. Peace, past erased and Christ encountered. So the truth about the truth, John says, there is grace for the guilty, there is mercy for the miserable, and there's peace for those who are free from the penalty of sin or the pull of our idols. My second point, the truth about love. What does John tell us about love and the importance of love? Well, just imagine you've been invited to do a talk over in, over in the hall at Tuesday break where all the toddlers are and there amongst all the toys and the noise, your job is to explain love, Jesus' love, not to the parents but to the toddlers. What would you say? Apart from help, well, you might like to use a visual aid. Always good to have visual aids when you're doing children's talks. Perhaps you could borrow a baby from one of the mothers and demonstrate to the toddlers how a mother would look after the baby and, and look after its needs. You might not choose to change a nappy, but you might do something like just fuss and, and smile at the thing and, and try and work out how to stop it crying. But how do you teach toddlers to think of others, to love others. 
and not just think of what's in it for them. Well, it's a precious gift to being able to explain Jesus' love to young children, and I'll leave that for the experts who have that gift. But John writes to his dear church and refers to them as children. So how does he communicate love to them? What visual picture does he use for us to see what love is like? Let's look at verse 4. It's given me great joy to find some of your children walking in the truth, just as the Father commanded us. And now, dear lady, dear St. Mary, as you might think, I'm not writing you a new command, but one we have had from the beginning. I ask that we love one another. And this is love, that we walk in obedience to his commands. As you've heard from the beginning, his command is that you walk in love. Well, did you get it, Tuesday Break Leaders? Love is about walking. We're commanded to walk in the truth, to walk in obedience, and to walk in love. It's lifting ourselves off our backsides and going places. You know, when Jesus said to people, follow me, he meant it. The disciples hardly ever stopped moving from place to place. Read the Gospels and count how many different places they went to. Jesus didn't just sit them down in the temple for three years and train their minds in godly living. No, they learned to love by walking from town to town, meeting people, and demonstrating true love by what they said and what they did. Healing people, teaching people, feeding people, living flat out for others. But John says there are rules to follow in this love, and verses 7 to 11 make that very clear. Let me read those. Many deceivers who do not acknowledge Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh have gone out into the world. Any such person is the deceiver and the antichrist. Watch out that you do not lose what we have worked for, but that you may be fully rewarded. Anyone who runs ahead and doesn't continue in the teaching of Christ doesn't have God. Whoever continues in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and doesn't bring this teaching, don't take him into your house or welcome him. Anyone who welcomes him shares in his wicked work. What are the rules of discipleship? What does John say about it? It's not just going out into the world. Many people do that. Many deceivers do that. No, think of how Jesus taught his disciples. He taught them to walk in love by keeping them close by. When they got confused, he taught them. When they were sad, he comforted them. When they were wrong, he corrected them and even rebuked them. The essential thing about this walk is to remain with Jesus and his people. Don't go out to reach the world without the support of your Christian friends who will pray with you, who will read the Bible with you, who will help you remain in Christ. Well, I'm almost done. On the back of your service sheets, you may have noticed two circles uh, at, at the bottom. These come from John's first letter, but I thought they're a good way of summing up the difference between those people who remain true to the truth and those people who follow the lies of the world. Let me talk you through them, starting with the chosen children, remain in him, the walk of love, which starts with truth. I think any of you could probably talk us round this circle, but let me do it. 
The truth is that Jesus was born of a virgin. He lived a perfect life. And he walked around showing us what God is like. Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah. He is the one who was promised, who rescues us by dying in our place. Anyone who is rescued by Jesus comes to know God the Father also. This isn't new teaching. It's been around from the beginning. From Genesis onwards, you will see that Jesus and the Father and the Holy Spirit are God. And he's come to rescue us. It was always the plan that Jesus would rescue us. And as we do that, we come to know God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. But it's not just enough to know that. We need to remain in Christ. We need to stay close to Jesus by spending time with his chosen people who encourage us to grow in godliness. And then we find our gifts, the gifts that God has given us, our true anointing, which is to bring the good news of truth to a lost world. Notice the title is Chosen Children Remain in Him. And you won't do that if you just listen to the odd sermon on the YouTube or the God channel or just come to a Sunday service when you feel like it. You need to be part of a group of people who will pray with you and encourage you. Then quickly, the wicked work circle. Well, John's problem were the Gnostics that were going around at the time. But I've tried to put this in terms that would work for today. What would the wicked work circle look like today? Well, it starts with denying the truth. What might this look like? Someone might say, well, don't talk about the real Jesus, the historic Jesus. It might offend someone. And don't talk about sins or God's judgment. It's, it's not very popular, is it? Think of Jesus as a good example to follow. Yes, Jesus is love. Just talk about that. Think of Jesus as the power within. He will help us love others and do good. In fact, it's best to think of Jesus just as a spirit within us who will help us discover our spiritual selves, who will empower us to overcome low self-esteem, lose weight, become beautiful, and be more lovable. I think it might be handy if you leave your church friends behind. They may be nice people, but I think they're holding you back. Maybe they'll come to the truth one day, but uh, try to persuade them to see the light. Life really is too short to be repressed by their narrow way of life. Find enjoyment. Find fulfilment. Have your dreams come true. Have a rewarding life full of happiness and great relationships with beautiful people. That's all that matters. Just imagine there is no heaven. And so the lies go on, never quite delivering on their promises, except they indulge your appetite for things that you want to do that end up leading to eternal death. And John says, this is wicked work. Don't have these people speak in your church. Don't include them in your Bible studies or your prayer meetings. We must watch out not to be deceived by it. Well, I'm just about done. When John ran out of space in his letter, he wrote about the complete joy that comes from face-to-face meetings. Meeting with those who will love you in the truth. So let me end with just three questions. Firstly, am I walking in love? But that's probably the wrong question from what John's saying. He says, are we walking in love? 
because you need to belong to a group of people who will pray with you, who will read the Bible with you, and who will help you take the good news to a world that needs to know Jesus. Do you belong to a group like that? Second, are we at peace? If you know God's grace and his mercy, do you also know God's peace? Or are there things or people in your life that you need to stop living for? Or at least put underneath the lordship of Jesus in your priorities? Because if you don't, you won't know the real peace of the Lord. Thirdly, do you really get grace, mercy and peace? I've whizzed through them. Or do you want to know more about what Jesus said about himself and us and how we can live the Christian life? Well, there's Christianity Explored, Identity, Changing Lanes, lots of other groups that we run here. Sign up for one. So 2 John teaches a lot about truth. It tells us how to walk in love and warns us about the deceivers. Let's hear what the elder says to the chosen lady. Amen.